What is up, people? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. As per always, this week will be the Lords of Salem. But before we get to that, we gotta get stoned. That's what we started with, right? We got, right. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. That's what we do. So we gotta get in our green hits. Danny, what am I about to light up as you start to tell us about it? Nice. So before I came over, stopped by over at Flower and picked up... A strain I don't know if we brought over before, but with that being said, I brought over a hybrid, this one being a 50-50 split. It is duct tape. And with that being said, it is created using the infamous original glue and dosido strains. So with that being said, I looked up some information because they do provide us with QR codes, which is nice. And with that being said, the THC ranges about 27% roughly. Total cannabinoids come in at about 32%. With that being said, the terpenes on this are like 2.7%. The ones that stand out the most in this particular strain are the myrcene coming in at about 0.83%, limonene at about 0.79%, karyophyllene followed by alpha-humulene and beta-pinene, which is really neat. So with the flavors and terpene profile, they're going to be hoppy, some lemon notes and some cinnamon notes on this. And the effects, of course, are cerebral, creative, relaxing, uplifting, kind of the usual, so to speak. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I also went to Flower, and I also grabbed something that I know that we haven't brought in before as a J, because I've never seen it before, especially not there, where they usually only have eight or nine strains to pick from at any given time yeah, anyway. So, today, you have some Cap Junkie which is a cross of Alien Cookies and Cushman's number 11. From what I was able to read and what I was able to find on it, Cap Junkie seems like it was bred to be more of a high THC flower. This one isn't the highest that we've ever seen before, but it's definitely no slouch. THC at, at 25% with total at 29 for cannabinoids, which... That's not a good. slouch, not the highest we've ever seen. No, but still, it's good. About 2% in terps, just a touch there under. Mostly what you're going to be looking at is limonene, linalool, and myrcene. But because of that, it's not really known for its taste or its smell. Like, <laughs> all the descriptors that I could find don't sound good. It's all like... Yeah, Cap Junkie smells like sour fruit rind with hints of pepper, gas, and dank. Like, all right. Its smoke tastes astringent. <laughs> all right. Peppery, but hits very smooth. Like I said, though, it is more bred to be a high THC strain and is known for its harder-hitting, long-lasting euphoric effects. Nice. So you'll have to let me know what you think. Yeah. I actually smoked some earlier, and... Like, it got me pretty fucking stoned, so... That's what you want. <laughs> like, I was okay with that shit. Now, as a reminder, to go check out the Patreon while we're doing our green hits. Patreon.com slash Fried Squirms. The lowest level you can get this week early. Highest level, you could be talking to us on Discord right now while we're doing this shit. Middle level, we got our Patreon-only episodes now. Yeah, it's fun. And those have been a blast. What's next? You know, I haven't even looked. I haven't even looked. Number 11... What was after Dead Alive? You know, I can't even remember. That's how long. You know what? We're gonna look that up. We're gonna find out right now. We're gonna tell you what's gonna be up next. Let me find this shit. This is gonna be. Oh shit, son! Is it Martyr? No, it's no. But you're in the right ballpark. 
Oh, is it inside? Okay, maybe the no, maybe no. not quite the right ballpark, but Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, Jesus, damn, damn, we're already up on that. We're <laughs> already back to Hannibal. <laughs> we're gonna get get our oh, re go through. Oh, damn, that'll be fun. <laughs> I don't know what new I'm gonna say. Yeah, I know, but still, it's gonna be interesting to, to revisit, regardless. Yeah, it always it's is. a hell of a movie. Hell of a movie. So <laughs> yeah, that's what's movies. coming up. Go check that out. We would really appreciate it. Coming into the new year, I think I'm going to make up my personal resolution to update things on the Patreon more. So you guys should see more of our updates and like know when episodes drop and yeah, shit. Well, you know, we're getting in the winter months, so yeah. we'll, we'll be a little It'll bit be longer easier. down. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. With that, I think we should just move into the guts and bolts of Lords of Salem. Guts and Bolts. All right, Guts and Bolts. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler-free. Lords of Salem. Start with our spoiler-free setup. A radio DJ gets a mysterious recording that, when played, starts to have strange effects on the women of Salem and her own psyche. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, it's like, I don't think there's... uh better way to, to say it without spoiling anything so of course we do like to talk about our cast and crew from week to week and we talked about this last week a little bit this director you either <laughs> probably gonna love him or hate him but regardless we like him over here the fried squirms we're talking about rob zombie gentlemen we've talked about several times before let's see a couple of this might be the last time for a while i know it's like a, the few episodes that we have reviewed him on we're back on episode 38 we reviewed house of a thousand corpses Episode 130, we did The Devil's Rejects. We also did a mini episode when we went up to Kalispell, checked out Three from Hell. That was episode 131 and a half. And also, more recently, we did episode 275 with Zach. We had a crossover, General Nerdery, on the Munsters, Mm -hmm. both the television show and Rob Zombie's movie. So with that being said, he's also the writer on this project. The cinematographer on this is Brandon Trost. Gentlemen, he's got some really cool projects. Actually, when I picked up way back when, he helped on Fangoria's Blood Drive Part 2. That was back in 2005. He's done such things. I mean, he's done some music videos, too, for, like, old 97 Static X, things like that, which is really cool. A few films of note. He's behind some of the Pulse films, uh, Pulse 2 and Pulse 3. He also helped on High Voltage, which is a crank film. He helped on Rob Zombie's Halloween Part 2. He helped on McGruber, which is really neat. Yeah, I know, right? Like I said, a couple of uh, Rob Zombie music videos, Sick Bubblegum, Mars Needs Women. He helped on uh, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. He's also helped on That's My Boy, the Adam Sandler film. The Lonely Island featuring Robin. The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse is really neat. Like I said, mostly music videos, a couple of stuff coming up. Sonic the Hedgehog Part 2 for those who like that kind of stuff. Okay. So, yeah, some cool projects there. All right, we've got editor Glenn Garland that we've talked about a couple of different times before. Most notably on episodes 130 for The Devil's Rejects and episode 131 and a half for Three from Hell. A few other things of a note from Glenn, because he's got some cool projects. And he's helped on Grindhouse, which is really neat. He also helped on Halloween, of course, Rob Zombies. He helped on Black Box from 2020, which is really neat. Three episodes of Preacher from 2018, which is really neat. Helped on 31. Let's see here. Also, yeah, Halloween, Halloween 2, of course. The uh, segment Werewolf Women of the SS is the Grindhouse segment he helped on. Okay. Does it say which Preacher episodes? Or just three? No, he helped on... 
Looks like Hilter, The Tombs, and Angelville. Okay. Okay. He also helped on uh, Bunraku, which is really cool. The Hitcher Part 2, a couple older films, Bats, things like that. Dracula Rising. So, yeah, some pretty cool stuff. All right, we've got music by Griffin Boyce and John Five. John Five, he helped on 31, but he's also a musician for uh, Marilyn Manson at one time. Mm-hmm. All right, special effects were helped by Terminal Effects. They helped with some of the visual effects. This was produced by Rob Zombie, Jason Blum, Andy Gould, and Oren Pelly. Production companies were Alliance, Automatic Entertainment, Blumhouse Productions, Haunted Movies, and I Am Global. The distributors were Alliance. They helped for the uh, 2012 Canadian theatrical release. Momentum Pictures helped for the 2012 United Kingdom theatrical release. Anchor Bay helped for 2013 United States. That was for all media. Entertainment One helped for the French and Spanish DVD release back in 2013. All right, uh, release dates on this were September 10th, 2012 at the Toronto International Film Festival up in Canada and April 19th, 2013 here in the States. It had a budget of about 1.5 million, grossed a little bit over 1.54 million. Mm. And the tagline I have is, we've been waiting, we've always been waiting. It's actually is a that a, <laughs> Yeah. Is that a reused tagline? Maybe. That sounds familiar, right? And if anybody's going to reuse a tagline, it's going to be Rob. Oh, well, I mean, given. You know <laughs> given. what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to argue that. I'm going to Google that real quick while you hit into this okay, next no part. Okay, no worries. So uh, getting into our cast, we've got quite the extensive cast. I'm going to kind of narrow it down to some of our main players. So huh, this is no surprise, but leading off, I've got Sherry Moon Zombie. She plays the role of Heidi LaRock and Adelaide Hawthorne, same person. We talked about her mostly from all the episodes I've already mentioned before with Rob Zombie, minus, I think I said it was the Toolbox Murders, I think was one that she did that was not directed by Rob Zombie. All right, we've got Bruce Davison, who plays the role of Francis Matthias. A few things of note from him, because he's got some cool stuff. All right, so Bruce, he was back in the cult horror film Willard, right? And his Academy Award-nominated and global, global winning performance in Longtime Companion. He was also Thomas Semis in the HBO original movie Vendetta. He also featured in the X-Men film franchise through X-Men and X2 as antagonist Senator Robert Kelly. He also appeared in Words and Pictures in 2013, the Foster television show from 2015 through 16, a film called Get a Job. If I'm not mistaken, he also was, um, yeah, he was in the Avt Pupil. I was like, that's how he got in those X-Men films. But uh mm. Yeah, he was also in, uh, I think, an episode or two of Knight Rider. He was also in Ben, which is an old 1972 film. So, yeah, he's been in some cool stuff. All right. We've got Jeff Daniel Phillips. Scott, we've talked about more recently, but he plays the role of Herman Whitey Salvador. We talked about him actually back on episode 131 and a half from uh, Three from Hell. And, like I said, more recently, episode 275 for The Munsters. He was also in Halloween Part 2, 31, Satanic Panic, and he was in Westworld television show from uh, 2016. All right, another guy we've talked about before, we've got Ken Forey, plays the role of Herman Munster Jackson. Uh, We talked about him back on episode 130, he was in The Devil's Rejects, he was also in episode 131, that was Dawn of the Dead. In episode 156, he was in From Beyond. See a few other things of note, just a few things of note from him. He was uh, Roger Rockmore on the Nickelodeon television series Keenan and Kel. I know we've talked about that in the past. Oh, shit, yeah. But uh, he was also in Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, which stars 
It was Viggo Mortensen's in that yes. one. Yeah. yeah, Viggo's in that one. Yep. Uh, let's see. He was also in an episode of The X-Files, which is really neat. Uh, showed up, of course, in Halloween, Rob Zombie's remake. So, yeah, a few things we know from him. All right, moving forward, we've got Meg Foster. She plays the role of Margaret Morgan. Surprised it took an <laughs> this long to get to her, but a few things I've known from her. She was in the uh, 1979 TV miniseries version of The Scarlet Letter. Which is probably the most like the most important one when it comes to this movie. Yeah, that's Because really it's a little bit of stunt casting in a way. Yeah, you could say that. She was in They Live, which is mm-hmm. really cool. I-, I told you about a film last week. We were talking about this a little bit off air. But uh, one I remember her from probably early on was Blind Fury. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it has Rucker Howard. I know we've talked about that. Let's see, a few things of note. She was also Detective Christine Cagney when the uh, the film adapted into the Cagney and Lacey TV series, which is really interesting. She was in the episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Muse from 1996, for those who are fans. Let's see here. She was also in uh, Masters of the Universe as Evil Lynn, which is really cool. Yeah, she was in Ticket to Heaven, Kevin Lear, Barabbas. She's been in a lot of stuff, man. She's got a really cool career. She's still doing a lot of cool stuff. She was in Overlord back in 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so some cool stuff there. All right. Moving forward, we've got Judy Geeson who plays the role of Lacey Doyle. A few things I've known from her. She was in The Newcomers from 1965 to 1967, and then she made her major film debut into Sir with Love back in 67. She was also in The Executioner from 1970, Fear in the Night from 72, Brannigan from 1975, and The Eagle Has Landed back in 1976. A few things of note as far as television. She was in Mad About You from 1992 until 1999, and she also had a recurring role on The Gilmore Girls, and she was also in Rob Zombie's 31 as well. All right. We've got uh, Dee Wallace, actress we've talked about several times before. We talked about her way back on episode 12, The Hills of Eyes, episode 70, Tremors, 95, Death House. talked about her on episode 108, Critters. 131 and a half and three from hell. She was also in the Munster. She voiced like uh, one of the TA travel agency. Yep. Yeah. A few things of note as far as horror. She was in the howling. She was in Cujo, the frighteners, Rob Zombie's Halloween. She's in the house of the devil. She was also in the ET. So I mean, how much more can you say about her? <laughs> All right. We've got Patricia Quinn and she plays the role of Megan. Magenta. Yeah. She was uh, in the Rocky horror picture show. She also, I don't know if she reprised her role, but she was in Shock Treatment, which is neat. Mm. Uh, she was also in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. She appeared in Hammer House of Horror back in 1980 and also in an episode, I believe, of Doctor Who back in 1987. Really neat. Well, and so with Rocky Horror, in case people don't know, she's magenta, but she's also the lips. Mm. I didn't know that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Nice. All right, I've got Maria Conchita Alonso. She plays Maria Conchita of, Alonso. <laughs> she plays the role of Alice Matthias. Now, a few things of note from her film I highly recommend is a Robin Williams film I really like. It's called Moscow on the Hudson. She was also in The Running Man. She was in the film Colors. She was in Vampire's Kiss, Predator Part Two, and Material Girls, which is interesting. All right, moving forward, we've got Andrew Prine. He plays the role of Reverend Jonathan Hawthorne. A few things of note from him, he was in The Miracle Worker, which is about Helen Keller. He was in the film The Town That Dreaded Sundown, the film The Evil. He was also in Amityville Part Two: The Possession. He was in uh, Freddy's Nightmares. It was one episode back in 89. There was an episode for you, I think uh, I wanted to mention, because it was a Quentin Tarantino-directed episode mm. of, what was it, CSI? 
Did Prine end up being in the cut, or is his scene deleted? No, he's in it. He's okay. just, yeah, he's Hawthorne. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. He's Hawthorne. Yep, yep, yep. Sorry. No, no, no. There's well, because there's, there's a, a lot of in those actors. those flashback scenes. A lot of things had to be either cut or reshot. So yeah, there's a few actors, and we'll mention that in the next section. Like I said, there's a few actors who originally appeared, but stuff happened and they had to be recast and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. So there's that. All right. So moving forward, I've got Richard Fancy plays the role of A.J. Kennedy. He's a guy kind of gives an expo dump to uh, Bruce Davison's character a little bit later on about the Lords of Salem and oh, Hawthorne yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. All right. So a few films of note from him. He was in Tango and Cash back in 89. He was in the film What About Bob uh, back in 91. He was in Clifford. He was in Species. He was in the film Nixon. He was also in Lawnmower Man Part 2. He was in Being John Malkovich. He was in The Girl Next Door. He was back in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He Actually, he went uncredited in that, but did a lot of television as well. Yeah, another really cool actor. Now, there were some other actors and actresses. I don't know how much in depth I want to get into it because it's mostly like little bit parts. Like, for instance, we see Barbara Crampton in a scene, right? So we've talked about her several times. Camille Keaton, actually, we haven't talked about her before, but she is the main actress in I Spit on Your Grave. It was really mm-hmm. cool. All right. And we talked about Michael Berryman and Sid Haig because they're in it, but they're only in it for a scene. You, you have to know to look for them. Right. Otherwise, you really wouldn't know. Like Lisa Marie, I think they said she made her first appearance in like a 12 years or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she's the one who in the flashbacks has given birth. That's Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Daniel Roebuck, even though he gets credited, he is not in this because there was like a sequence that they did film he was in. Along with like Christopher Knight, Nudo Kier, and there was a couple other people, like I said, who get listed, but they we don't see them because they were in deleted scenes. <laughs> Wait, Christopher Knight was in this? Yes, I'm saying, but <laughs> it was cut because he and Barbara Crampton were in a scene together that had to do with like a local lobster shop right. or some shit. Yeah. Because he's Lobster Joe. Right. So in the scene, that, I mean, this is not really a spoiler because you're going to see it, especially if you listen, but Barbara Crampton's carrying like a thing of lobsters. Right. And that's what she drops. So that's why that's that tie into that. But anywho. And that kind of ties to later yeah. in the movie in a so weird way. So that's why, like, if you're looking mm-hmm. at the Wikipedia page and you're looking at all this stuff, it's... There's yes, a lot of names, but right. they don't all appear. Yeah, and a lot of them are just real brief. So that's why I don't I didn't want to give too many credits. Clint here. Howard. Yeah, exactly. It's like, ugh, good luck finding them. But yeah, that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give some warnings heading into the next section. The Salem in the name should have, like, tipped you off that witches are involved, mm. right? I would hope. Like, you don't make a horror movie about Salem if you're not going to include witches. Oh, that's... I thought you meant Salem, Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of witchcraft and satanic shit, first off. Yeah, I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. Nudity. Yeah. And not necessarily fan servicey nudity. No. No, no, I mean, maybe, but I'm not going <laughs> to knock you, whatever. This is probably a little bit closer to the reality of witches out in the woods. Yeah, yeah, that must some grimy, mm-hmm. don't want to do, do nothing with that. A little bit of language, but less than your average Rob Zombie movie, to be completely honest. By, like, actually a, quite an amount. Yeah, that's a solid point. I mean, there's going to be some baby stuff that, Yeah. you know, have to say that. This is really going to throw people, but... There's... Ooh. There's some sexual assault 
though it does end up having not actually happened, but I know what you're saying, <laughs> but I mean, it's still, it's, it's there. It's yeah. There, you exactly. see it. Yeah. It's there. You can't unsee it. Even if you like the context gets changed. If, it still happened. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It gets just kind of fucking weird. I mean, if you've watched any of the other Rob Zombie films we've listed, you'll be right at home. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I will, this does feel quite a bit different than most of his other yeah, stuff. But, you know, I, I feel like it's still, you can still tell it's his. You can still tell it's his. Partially just because I mean, he, Sherry, but aside yeah. from that. <laughs> aside from Sherry, also just because, as we've mentioned in the past, he wears his influences on his sleeve. And once you know what influences to look for. Yeah, then it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's definitely him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess let's uh, get into it and find out how the Lords of Salem made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, the Lords of Salem. Well, I guess the first thing to say about this was we originally almost covered this movie five years ago. It's been a while. Like, this isn't one of those ones like, oh, yeah, I bet we mentioned this on, you know, the first episode of the podcast. I don't know if we've mentioned this one too much on air before, other than, you know, mentioning what films Rob Zombie has done anytime we do our guts and bolts and shit, right? But off air, there was plans for a crossover. Yeah, and it was going to be pretty solid because, once again, we are on a theme and involves sound, and that would have been perfect for our crossover. Yeah. Had a a friend that was in a music-based podcast at the time and would have been great. Yeah, that's what they did. Then it didn't happen. <laughs> I know, and it's like... Then ah, that podcast didn't happen anymore. Uh, it, it happens. You know? And then there was almost a crossover also with Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know... Because that would have been perfect for the show he was doing right after that. I know. But, you know, shit happens. It happens. But we're not worried about that. The thing is, though, once that didn't happen, we just sort of put it on the back burner. We're like... There will be a, a perfect time for it to come back up again. Like, we're not too worried about it. There's other Rob Zombie no. films to talk about. There's other fucking witch movies to talk about. There's other Satan movies to talk about. Right, right. Not that we don't like this. We'll get into how we felt, feel about this movie in a minute. But yeah, it was just like, well, this didn't happen. So we don't have to right, like, rush right. into it either. It's interesting how these things kind of work out, you know. But that left it as being perfect for when we're like, what are we going to follow up Barbarian Sound Studio with? It's like, no, this is, I feel like a good segue between this one and probably the next one. Probably the next one. I've never yeah. seen the next one, so I'm curious how much of a good segue it's actually going to be. But No, I've heard some I, interesting things. I feel, I, like what, I feel like it might be a better segue than I intended it to be. No, it's, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, then we get into a heavy film. All right, Lords of Salem. Now we're here... I know that we had both seen this movie before because we had watched it whenever, it, you know, either. I don't know. I didn't see it in theaters. Did you see I it in theaters? Either. I want to yeah. say it was probably around the time that it dropped for Blu-ray. Same, same. Yeah. I think right around when it first dropped for Blu-ray. So yeah, probably jumped right 14, on it. Something like that. Yeah. But like we had watched it, which is why we had wanted to do the crossover. We knew how much it could potentially yeah. tie into what they were doing and shit at the time. So this definitely, like, this was coming back to it. Coming back to it this time, I realized that the first time I watched this, I didn't understand what is arguably the main influence on this movie, which is Kent Russell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, 
I think, like I said, if, if people mm. have a a little bit of a background in like the witch subgenre, then yeah, I mean Ken Russell's is the devil's. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious as as one of the influences for sure. My first time around, I definitely caught the Kubrick of it all. Yeah, it shot very Kubrickian. Yeah, and it does have a, a dreamlike quality to it as mm-hmm. well. I think a lot of very intentional use of like fucking centering up on people and yeah, I was gonna say the way he frames center framed shots. and yeah, it feels very Kubrickian at times, at least in the way it's shot. That's a good point. And that I caught very much first time around. This time I was like, oh, I get this now because I've now seen Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because <laughs> that reference did come to mind. But it's like it's interesting how these kind of things do line up because had we done the episode with Riley, you know, the crossover, I don't know if that would have been a reference we would have thrown out. No. You know, because we hadn't covered it at that point and I hadn't seen it at that point either. So that's what I'm saying. Now we can talk about it and it makes a lot more sense. And I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been so heavily and easily able to be like, Oh, that's also the guy that did Tommy, which not a horror movie, but like once you know that it's the same guy, you're like, Oh, I see it. Okay. I get you. Yeah. And that's interesting because those things, you know, they show up in interesting ways, Mm -hmm. these influences and whatnot, or, you know, even just like references in general. So, yeah, there was a few things I caught as well. Some of them are pretty obvious. Like, there's tinges of both Rosemary's Baby and the tenant. Not the tenant so much, but there's, I mean, it's just the dread within the walls that you're living in with the people, you know. Right. In this case, it's a lot lot more like Rosemary's Baby because, you know, you're dealing with Satan and a vessel for Satan. Uh, It's a child, that is. And, of course, the Witchfinder General. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. Especially um, with the flashback shit. Yeah, another one, I don't know how much, but it reminded me, there were scenes that reminded me of Fire in the Sky, which is more mm. um, like alien Aliens. abductions. But I think it had a lot more to do with the way those doctors looked because it was more surgical, and that's what it felt, like alien mm-hmm. creatures. Not you know, not that that's what he was doing, but it had a little bit of that feel to it to me. I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, honestly, in that same vibe with just the way that it was out there... It was kind of the vibes with the doctors and with the clergy. Yeah. And all of their minions felt also like, what if Ken Russell did Phantasm? Yeah. It would have been... In, yeah, that guy's... He's interesting because... Um, like, so with Lair of the White Worm, which is one that we did, of course. But also, like, The Devils, which is interesting, too, is one we haven't done... But you can definitely feel that influence because, I mean, that's what it's centered on, mm-hmm. you know? Let's see. Overall, like, before we get too far into this, this is a weird one for me because I think there's legitimate arguments to be made that this might actually be Rob Zombie's best movie. I'm not sure if I would make those arguments. Right, but I think there's an argument to be made for it. But that's also partially because I have so many feels and nostalgia caught up with some of his other movies. Yeah, I, I think for me, for the same reasons. But I legitimately think there's arguments to be made that this is his best. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty well done. But it's still maybe at best number three for me on the list of his films. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Because like Rejects and House are going to go above this every say- time for me. Those two would be mine as well, as far as one, two. I'd have to rewatch 31 to decide whether it's above this or not for like me. It's, 
it's mostly because of nostalgia and just the history with those other films. So, I, yeah, I would think Lords of Salem, I would comfortably argue in the top three. Yeah, but it's weird when I, where I'm sitting here like, this might be his best, but it's yeah. at, at its absolute highest is number three for me personally. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of fans of horror in general like, yeah, you guys are both stupid. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm okay with that. Well, arguably, <laughs> Sherry Moon may be the best she's done. Dude, I know. I think Baby's a little bit more crafted for her. Yes. But she has to do more in this role, and I think she pulls it off. No, she does, I think, a really good job in this film. So I think regardless if you like her or not, it's for me, it's hard to knock what she's doing because she's playing the part, and it's to me, it's believable. Are there actresses that could do better? Yeah, yes. of course, but... Still, but she, she does, does a good job, man. Not just a serviceable job. She does a good to no, above average job. I, I have no complaints with her acting at all in this film. Like, I I really never have, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it that people are probably going to be annoyed that she's in all this film. But, I mean, it's his wife. Fuck, Fuck you. it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Who cares? I think it's more that they're annoyed that she always has to be a lead role rather than yeah. just being in no, I mean, I, that's a good sign. <laughs> I mean, I, granted. I mean, but, I mean, it's his wife. Yeah. Come on. And it's not like she doesn't have talent. Exactly. And isn't nice to look at. Yeah, exactly. In a movie that opens up on her ass, basically. Yeah, it's like, come on. At least the modern day segment of it. Um, <laughs> I want to give credit to this movie, though, going full on like, oh, no, our our witches aren't like misunderstood oh, no. uh, earth worshippers off in the middle of the woods that have just been cast out by society for being smart. They're fucking just full on satanic witches. Yeah, no, these are witches. Like, when you think, yeah, when you think of like what a witch is, at least when I do, mm-hmm. that's what I, th- I think of a witch. I don't think of freaking hocus pocus and shit like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's Halloween version of that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, come to me, sweet Satan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, all about Satan. It's like, yep. And I'm all for that because I would rather watch a film that's going to center around witches that focuses on that as opposed to, you know, well, magic. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with magic. I'm just saying. I want to see this. Were you, when we record in this room with such an exquisite oh, I know, right? goat looking down upon us, were you kind of disappointed in the satanic goat in this movie? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they didn't feature him as much. Right. You know? But he um, also just didn't look as badass. No. No, I agree. And I, I mean, mean, it's hard. You it's can't. Hard. You don't it's find Black Phillip every day. No. But I did listen to Rob Zombie, the commentary track, because you know I've seen this film a couple times now, and never listened to the commentary track, so I listened to it, and he said that the goat, its name was Noodle, was a delight to work with. <laughs> but there's another animal in this film that was not a delight to work with. Daniel Roebuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Close. But yeah, no, the dog. Troy oh no, shit! Really said it was pain the ass because it wouldn't listen and just oh. kind of did, did what it wanted to do. Yeah, and I was like, well, I mean, that's that's what happens when you work with animals. Sometimes you, you know you win, sometimes you lose. But that's fucking funny. Yeah, apparently goats are pretty decent to work with. It sounds like. All right. So there's that. I heard. Uh, was it seagulls are a pain in the ass? So <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> so you're gonna do that? I don't know. I was just like, cool, satanic goat. But, like, I'm so used to Black Phillip now. 
I know. No, he's such a majestic beast. Yeah, he's not going to be replaced, I don't think, anytime soon. No. We've seen a couple of different goats, and yeah. <laughs> nope. I had completely forgotten about the amount of fucking nudity in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of... There's a lot of old witch titty. Yeah. Just going for it. <laughs> yeah, just, just a lot of... Female nudity. Not that there's, you know, like I said, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not. And not trying to shame them either. No, it's not. No. It's not sexualized. But it's also they're general. old witches. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. It's what do you think? <laughs> That's what and, we're pointing out. It's realistic. Sense, in a sense, it is similar in terms of what the witch does. The film, the, the witch. Yes. With the old witch, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they have to do stuff to keep up the youth, if you will. But they don't go that route in this film, and I'm okay with that. I like that. Right, this one isn't about keeping young. No, it's just like, no, they're witches. They're some they're hags, dude. I mean, really, this movie is kind of just Rob Zombie's housewife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's cosmic as fuck. I mean, it can be construed that way. And, I mean, the baby even has more in common with an eldritch abomination than it has in, in common with... The Antichrist. Yeah. And I think that was an interesting choice, the way that Rob did that, because this is kind of jumping way forward. But he said, when you are introduced to Satan, it's actually like that weird short creature thing. Yeah. And he said, you know, he wanted to show how, almost like sci-fi, like alien in a sense, where instead of impregnating Sherry's character the old-fashioned way, it's like, I'll just do it through the intestines. And that's, yeah, that's what you see. She's just, <laughs> that's one of those, like, what the fuck is going on kind of moments. But that's what he said. He's like, I just wanted to do it different. I've never seen it mm-hmm. done that way before. So, yeah, it's just a different interpretation. It's still, in my, yeah, my view, it's like, yeah, that looks more like an eldritch, you know, god or abomination, whatever, regardless. And I don't, I don't know what all he said or not in the commentary, but it kind of feels like Satan shows up a few different times in a few different forms. Uh, he doesn't really mention that. He says... Because um, there's the there's the thing that shows up when she's in front of the Red Cross. Right. And he said he said that wasn't Satan. Okay. He said it was more... I think most people like would demon. interpret that that's Satan. Right. I mean, I would have read that without listening to his track. Because I was like, that's a weird way of interpreting Satan. Because, you know, we've seen Satan mm-hmm. depicted in different ways. But no, he said it was more like a demon. That That creature was. He said, we don't really see Satan until we see her when she enters the theater. Right. She's in her face paint. That's when the first time you see Satan. But but no, I, I can see like how it, we can interpret Satan in different forms. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes sense. The thing by that checks up on her by her bed didn't quite look the same as the one in the gallery. No, well, uh, you know, it's funny about that. <laughs> he said that uh, Sherry would not look at it. She was so disgusted about it. She could not look at it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's another thing later on in the film I'll talk about too where she gets freaked out and you can almost see her like up chuck a little bit which is kind of neat but anyway, yeah no, that was an mo- interesting take yeah movie opens up she's a radio DJ pretty successful one seems like they're pretty well known in their area yeah that was cool how he uh, he set up the commercial to kind of mm-hmm. give you some background of like okay that's this is who these characters are you got the Hermans if yeah. you didn't know that Rob Zombie was a Munsters fan Jesus yeah he Double shot. <laughs> Double shot of Herman. One of them nicknamed Munster. Yeah. Come on. Come on. You would hope. 
A little bit. This is why I was so happy when he got that fucking job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I knew that he'd been putting shit like this. And it fits, man. Yeah, Jeff, Daniel Phillips. I think he fucking knocks it out of the park in this movie. No, he is I wish that film. he was in it more towards the end. Like, it doesn't yeah. make sense for him to be with where the story goes and right. who it's right, right, about. Right. But that's like... That's one of the things I wish for more is that his character had a way of showing up more towards the end. I was thinking, seeing his performance in this and then seeing the monsters not that very long ago, it's like, yeah, I can see, of course, why he casts him in that role. It's like, he's fucking perfect. He and Sherry have good chemistry already, so it would make sense. Just got to watch out. It starts, there's a point where it starts getting weird. Kind of like with Tim Burton, when you keep casting the same dude to be the dude that's fucking your wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what their relationship's like, so I can't speak. Once again, it. not yeah. trying to shame anything. No, but no, no, it, no, There's no, a but point yeah. where you're like, you're like, you're doing this again? Like, all right. Uh, all right. I'm getting paid for it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's interesting, so... But yeah, just seeing him in, the, in that this role, like yeah, he did a good job. He did a really good job. I mean, the, I would say like the first quarter of this movie, in a way, just exists so that you have some sort of connection to the characters. Yeah, absolutely. You get their backstories. You learn that she's a recovering addict. Yeah, you get a little bit like, more of the the day. Not even like out. backstories, but just no, like just, time with them right, and like right. seeing how they interact and. Yeah, and not everything's focused. At the radio station, which is nice too, mm -hmm. you know, because this film is predicated upon the fact that she gets a record, you know, and it's it's doing something not only to her but to the women of Salem. Yes, so she's kind of seeing caveman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's never quite clear how serious they are. No, but you can tell they've they have a history. Let's put it yes. that way. You know, they're hanging out, doing their shit, put on the record. That's the first time we hear it. And I was so happy because the track from the Lords is so much fucking better than that black metal that they had on. Earlier. Oh, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I like metal. Black metal's hard for me to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not much into it. I'm not like a huge metal fan as is, but I usually don't seek out black. Atmospheric black can be a lot of fun. Right. I mean, it, it has. But its not place. the shit that they were doing. The more no. the more brutal black shit. What's interesting about that, because he did use, mostly John Five, there's a couple other musicians, mm -hmm. too, that, you know, they play those parts, but it was not really significant enough to, like, give it credit, but regardless. And I have respect for those musicians, but... Yeah. But I, I know, a lot of it, to them, and I, I'm not trying to speak for them, but just a little bit of knowledge that I know, just, and it's mostly from, like, Burzum and bands like that, where... Their message was, and it fits into the theme of this film with Christianity, you know, and they're more like pagan worshiping Satan and stuff like that. So it kind of ties into what this guy is speaking about on the yeah. radio station. Well, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of the black metal movement and lyrics and stuff was a pushback against the forced Christianization of their country 800 years prior. Right. And it's like, no, they're trying to reconnect to the old, their old heritage if mm -hmm. you will ancestry and whatnot it's like we want to reconnect but we're also pissed that we have to reconnect yeah so it's like we'll do everything that's anti-christianity and in this case mm -hmm. you know it's gonna be devil it, you know not necessarily be devil worshiping but you know you're gonna use symbology and things like that mm -hmm. it's it's the counter to it but i kind of dig the lord's track 
it's catchy in a sense that it makes sense. It feels doomy, mm-hmm. you know, ominous. You can attach whatever adjective that spooky, eerie, you know, foreboding, all that shit. But it's effective. I think it's effective in what it's doing and what it's conveying because it's tying a couple of ideas together. It's melodic. It has a melody and it's recognizable. Uh, that, what was her name? Uh, Maria, her character talks about that a little bit. But then it's also tying it back to like these witches are actually playing it because it was the devil's music. Right. So, you know, it has an effect that way too. They were hunted down because they were going out and making devil music. Yeah, it's like, what y'all what y'all back there playing? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. It sounds like the devil's music. <laughs> well, I mean that, that it's like, how do you know that's the devil's music? That calls that into question. Well, you know, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> Yeah, we know how he knows it's the devil's music. It's because it's Udo Kier. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he knows. If anyone's going to know devil's music, it's going to be Udo. Uh, he would definitely know. <laughs> so I, I do like that. I think the music is effective. And it ties into the, the theme that we're doing. And I think that's why this film is, if it's, you could say perfect in this mm-hmm. realm of what we're doing with, you know, music as a theme or sound as a theme. But you know what? As much as I did like that track, I do agree that, like, listening to that, that's the perfect, perfect type of song to bring up on if you have, like, a trash or pass type. Oh, yeah. Or whatever theirs was called. You know what I mean? No, oh, yeah, exactly. Trash or pass. Like, it's the perfect, like, this yeah. This song is going to be divisive because it's kind of just noise as well. It's not an actual noise no, track. No, I've heard not. noise. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been to a noise show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Chew, yeah. It's, but it is, is kind of just noise. Right, because it's on a loop, and it can be it can be abrasive in a sense, like, because it's, I don't know. And it's but, discordant. I was going to say, because like, it is discordant. I think that because it makes you feel a certain way. It, it, emo- it um, invokes a sense of emotion is what I'm trying to say. And that is where that dread and that doom kind of feels like, ugh, kind of makes you feel, ugh. But it can also just be boring. Yes. Depending on who you are. Yeah, and that's okay. And it's like, yeah, it's just, yeah, after a while, it's just on a, a loop. So, like, it's magical, it's supernatural, so, like, yes, it's affecting her. But I kind of dig how he kind of has, like, the perfect, like, oh, no, we do a radio show. This is fucking perfect for what we do. Yeah, it's like, Because it is. Yeah, exactly. So why not incorporate it? And it explains why they play it the next day on the radio. Because I think in most other situations, it's not believable that you would play that the next day on a fucking radio station. I know, right? So, no, I I do like that incorporation into that. It's Yeah, it's right. It's perfect. Why wouldn't they? Stretch would never play that on her radio station. No. No. Nuh-uh. I can't see her doing that. (laughs) Nope. That's kind of what I was even thinking in my head while watching it. I'm like, Stretch wouldn't you know, play this, but they set it up in a way that this makes I, sense. I haven't thought about that in a sense. Like, and this is a different discussion, but it's it's still within context of the film. It's like I can't can't think of too many DJ characters that we've covered. Right. I mean, I know we have, but to what extent? Yeah. To what it? Oof. That's tough. I know. I was like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Most those, of them are going to be background characters. Too. Yeah, I was like, but that's Stretch is a good example, and Sherry's character is Heidi is a good example too so far. That leads to them playing it the next day. Yes, yes. Which is where things really yeah. start to take. And off. I think that's where, if you're paying attention, that's where it's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, it's not just affecting her. Yeah, we saw that. But yeah, now it's it has a far reaching. It's not affecting the guys; it's affecting the women. And then. 
for me at least as a viewer, I'm like, okay, well, what is the connection? Why is why is it having this effect? This is where I feel like this is in some ways Rob's best work is because this is one of the movies that of his that it parcels out information correctly and like in the right order to make you ask questions and heighten the tension. Mm -hmm. And then you get the little bit of release when you find out what's going on, but it's not necessarily a release. It's like, Oh shit. No. So like, how is this going to continue to add up? Oh, it turns right. out she's a Hawthorne. Oh, it turns out that right. Hawthorne's and so there's, there's layers like, to it. So that, yeah, the more that you do discover, the more you realize that there's yeah more layers to unravel. Like, oh shit. And you start going like, oh, and, and that's, that's why this makes sense 10 minutes ago. And Yeah, and that's why I do like the the Bruce Davison character because he kind of fits that intermediary. Is like, yeah, that's the guy who's kind of like us as the viewer. He's like unraveling shit as the plot mm -hmm. goes along. You know, you're like, oh. The audience stand in, the audience surrogate yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, yeah, he does a good job too in that, that role. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's things that happen, but honestly, in my opinion, after that point, the rest of the movie can be best summed up as like things just keep getting weirder as the yeah. song continues to be played. Absolutely. Especially because it's like weirdly popular. So they keep playing it like it seems like at least once a day. Yeah. I mean, it's catching on. You know, it makes me call into question this with uh, Ken Forey's character as Herman Munster Jackson. Mm hmm. He lets her in. I know I'm jumping forward, but he he lets her into the stage at the end of the film. So does that imply like he has a hand in this some some way, like even from the get go? I don't know. That's a tough one. Well, and here's the thing: but like he, at a yeah. certain point, she also definitely becomes an unreliable narrator. That's what I say too. It's like, well, yes, because that calls him into a lot of question. There's a lot of it, it art. Surreal. There's a lot of things where like the last half of this movie Solid could point. just be her using drugs again. But I feel like we've watched other movies that are better at making us question which way it's going. Right, right. At no point do I feel like this is because she's on drugs. No, I just feel like that is a good way to kind of like draw parallels, mm -hmm. but it's more coincidental. Yes. Her, her rapid descent. Uh, I think it, it makes yeah. her more vulnerable is what it's doing. She is having a personal descent into hell, but... Yeah, she's also She's having also having a descent into hell. Yes, that is not <laughs> metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, no, that, like, in the film, it's real. There, There's a metaphor going on here. Yes. But you don't really, But you don't really need to worry about it. No, that, that's the fucked up part, isn't it? It's like... Yes, the drug part's very serious, but she has a more serious problem at stake, you know. And there's, I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of scenes wow. that make you question it back and forth either. She's so. not like having something happen no. and then snapping out at it in the middle of a room and she's actually no. having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, no. It's, no. it's all just these sort of like self-contained sequences. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do like mm -hmm. that too because if you want to read into that, I guess you could. Absolutely. And that's okay. And that's okay because it, it is there. Maybe there's something else, too, that we're missing because neither of us really feel like that's what it's going with. No. And, you know, honestly, too, well, listening to his commentary, he didn't really make a big deal out of it either. He was just saying, you know, you, you get enough background because she goes to those a, well, NAA meeting. So you, you at least know that she's mm -hmm. whatever substance. In this case, we found out it's heroin. But... It's like it's just it's just coincidental. It's more or less just kind of showing you like the descent, like you were saying. It's like she is descending 
in a personal hell because she's relapsed, you know. But it's, it was spurred on because because there's actual hellish things. Yes, going on. and that's the, yeah, that's the whole point. It's just it's a culmination of both. It's because uh oh, Satan. Right. I mean, can you blame her? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not saying you know. I'm not trying to justify it, but you know, in the context of the film, it's you can see why she would go down that route. Turns out the coven is alive well, and well. Alive and well. Well, the ones that are dead are dead. Well, yeah, yeah, but it, it has been at least carried. I don't know, you know, to what extent, but it it's a it exists in some form right now in Salem, at least in the these three women. Mm-hmm. And that's her landlady, and then her mysterious friends that show up, and yeah. it's not like honestly, this is all revealed earlier than what we were just talking about, and like there's the movie doesn't pretend like oh are they a coven of witches or not like as soon no, as she leaves the room the camera keeps in the room with them and they're like that went great we're we're fucking we're doing a great job at gaslighting her yes yes and you know it's kind of honestly it's kind of a scene that i almost wish would have happened at some point in hereditary oh no right that would have been cool not really because i think it would have broken the tension of that yeah. film but like, it's funny because you know that a version of that happened in oh, that movie. You of, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Definitely off, off screen. <laughs> but, off screen, but a version of that with those characters. Because happened. there has to be a coordination for all that mm-hmm. stuff to ha- you know to go off, and then you can't but help feel a little bit of ego takeover when shit's going to plan. You're like, yes, that was good. Yeah, Rob has no problem throwing in a little bit of the dark comedy here and there. And that was a great beat of it. Like, shit, we're doing a good job. But you realize what they're talking about, and you're like, we're doing a great job at ruining this girl's life, gaslighting her, and setting her up to be the mother of the Antichrist. Dude, that was wild. Like, yeah, we're going to... You know, something I like, too, and Rob mentioned this, and I didn't realize this, but uh, Dee Wallace and Patricia Quinn, they're, you know, the characters are a little bit different when you first are introduced to them, where it seems like Dee Wallace is a bit more bubbly, and Patricia Quinn's character, she's a palm reader. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, it seems like more reserved and very serious. And then there's a little bit of an inversion a little bit later on with Bruce uh, Davison's character when, you know, they clunk him and all that shit. But they, it seemed like they rubbed each other the wrong way on set a few times is what yeah. he said. He said he didn't, he said, I'll leave it to them to discuss. But he's like, there was a little bit of that on set with certain people. And he said mostly because the weather sucked, conditions sucked. You know, so you're going to have that. Just the way, I guess, people interpret parts in how things are supposed to be done. And, you know, there's going to be a little difference. But regardless, regardless, that's another point. Is Dee Wallace said that, you know, she wanted to play something that wasn't just, you know, the mom on screen all the time. So she took a delight when her character has to Mm. make a little bit of that switch. (laughs) I was like, well, yeah, can't blame her. There was a part of me that was hoping that they were going to play that trio as a little bit more of like a dark parody of the Sanderson sisters. I mean, it was there. They could have done right. it. Right. It's, it's, it's not not there. I think you right. can force it. Like you can make it fit in your head if you of really course. want to. It's not naturally yeah. as there as I wanted it to be. No, no, no. It's just, uh, I, I think you can and say I get it's it, whatever. Yeah. It's just something I thought would have been funny. No, I think so too. It's just a, it's a coincidence if nothing else. Plus, three's in kind of an esoteric number, if you, if you want to read into it that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, three and witchcraft go together, like, fucking... 
PB and J. Yeah, it's like it's it's there. It's definitely there. The the Hecate, the Hecate, or whatever, like yeah. the three in one goddess. So yes, like the, even like later on when in the is it in the gallery at the one point when she looks across and she sees the painting and it's the three women. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah exactly. of course <laughs> it is because witchcraft. <laughs> If you know this shit, then you know what's going on right now. Like, I'm like, I think for him too, like he, he's gonna incorporate that because he pays attention to detail. He's a mm-hmm. he's a horror fan. We know that, so it makes sense. I like that. It's a nice touch. Like I said, though, like shit just kind of starts going off the rails, and it... yeah, I, I do like it. I mean, even though it's it's kind of you could say it's it's cheap in a sense, where you have Meg Foster's character. As Margaret, she kind of shows up in the background in certain scenes. But I was like, you could say that's cheap, but I think it's effective in terms of like letting you know that the, the doom and the presence, the evil presence is there. It's looming. Mm-hmm. You know, whether she's really there or not is beside the point. It's just, it's just the presence. Once you get to that halfway point in the movie, when it's now it's starting to be just full on like she's descending, there's crazier and crazier things going on and it's not like story isn't still happening but it's more just explaining like it's a lot of weird just like exposition drops where you know like okay now we've been told this and this and this so we know that they're basically trying to birth the antichrist and like now we know this and like oh it's supposed to come from (laughs) the bloodline of hawthorne oh turns out she's a hawthorne oh yeah you know and it's, it's okay it's like if you want to keep the story going, like I think that's where that Bruce Davison character is perfect for this because he keeps it moving. It gives us enough expo and, and background to like make sense of what we're seeing. It's not just all happenstance or like, you know, this is, t- it's too perfect if you will. But for me, like I love the back half of this movie where it just gets crazy yeah, and it's hard. Like it's it harder to talk about because it's kind of just these weird little vignettes of like a culty crazy shit. Yeah. And I do like all that stuff too. But it's also what like kind of blows me away about this movie. Like, yeah, you like Rob, you did it. Like you wanted to make, no, did, you wanted to make a, a Ken Russell movie basically. And you succeeded. I think he did a good job because this, it almost tinkers a little bit with like Fulci a little bit mm-hmm. with, we talked about like the nightmare dreamscapes and just dealing with surrealism because some of this is very surreal and it's hard to make sense of like what you're saying is, is it the unreliable narrator because she has descended so far in her sanity where you, you can't make sense of, of what is and what isn't real at this moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do like that. It, it's a good balance because the way I look at it is, uh, she became kind of like a saint-like figure for for hell, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for these witches, the coven. You know, she gave birth to the Antichrist. So, yeah, they're going to exalt her in this manner. Hence why her, you know, she looks like a saint at the end. Right. So, what? yeah, so from all that back things, like, what's some shit that stands out for you? Yeah, I, I think... Instead of just lumping it all together, because you know, we're talking about, like, 25, 30 minutes I worth of movie. I think what I like of that was trippy, and it, it was effective, and it's an interesting scene, too, is is her going into the church and then having that sequence where, you know... It was she, like... Yeah, she's made to give head to the priest. Right, and, you know, right after that, where she's trying to calm herself down, 
she then sees a dude walking the goat. That dude happens to be Jeffrey Daniel Phillips. Oh. Yeah. He said mainly because they couldn't get anybody else that was, you know, it's like he was willing to do it, put the mask on, just walked. <laughs> so he did it. But that scene kind of stands off for me. I think the the way she gets impregnated, but more more so or less for me is it felt a little, honestly, a little bit like um, Jacob's Ladder with those doctors coming in and snatching oh, her up like that, yeah, too. Yeah. So it felt felt like that. That's why I felt like Fire in the Sky felt a little bit like that because it's a very surgical, intrusive thing. Like, you, you are... You have no control over your your body at that point because you've been trapped. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're being manhandled. So that scene stands out. And, uh, yeah, I think... The, the theater sequence right there at the end, you know, when they're exalting her and so oh, it's yeah. pretty wild. I mean, I like that cause it's more artsy, but mm-hmm. those are some of the scenes that stand out to me. For me, I love the herd, just like the, the sort of quiet, like trance in front of the, the red cross. Oh, that is a dope scene too, where she's just, and then you're like, okay, like this is cool. And it's like being held out like for that. just a second. And you're like, okay, whatever. And then the camera changes and you see the beast, just yeah. like standing there watching her. Yeah, this is kind of cool. He said that the way he got that that kind of wavy effect for the cross mm. is they uh, they filmed kind of like with a fire close by. So you know you could mm. I guess the you know the fumes or whatever gives it that effect. It's not something visual, but just that re- the repeated um, bleed us a king. Mm. That was dope. That sticks out to me. And then that goes right into a weird, it only lasts like 10 seconds, but it's just like a tableau where it kind of looks like a creepy scarecrow in the middle. Mm. And it's all like center framed, but it's the scarecrow face isn't like, it doesn't look like normal. It looks like it's made out of metal or something. And the face looks kind of like the helmet of the painting that she has up on the wall Mm. later that starts bleeding. Yeah. He said uh, for that sequence, he wanted to mirror Margaret, which was Meg Foster's character when she had the iron mask on. Mm-hmm. He said he wanted that painting of those, you know, he said it, it had a certain name. I can't remember exactly. Cannon fodder or some shit like that. Oh, so so what it would have been that I guess that I'm looking at was that was the, I think that's supposed to be the... It was like a 10-second flashback to the remains of all the ashes of okay. the witches from when they got burned. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Like I said, it's only up on the screen for a little bit. And and you sort of start, not super far away, but a little far away, and huh. it slowly comes in on it. Yeah, I, I'll have to, I'll have to do, take a look at that again. And it's, it's like directly after the Bleed Us a King bit. That's nice. Dug that. And just because I completely forgot about it, and it's super shocking the first time you see it, <laughs> And then you're like, oh, yeah, this is influenced by Ken Russell. But it's the demon pope and the clergy fucking stroking off. Dude, that's wild, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Yes, I, I, yeah, they're going there with that. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, there's dildos, but still, that's beside the point. That, um, the scene I, I did want to say Rob talked about where he had Sherry lay down. It was in the, like, the birthing room. Mm-hmm. He said she's, like, on a... I don't know, on a plank that's maybe only six feet long, you know, so she, he said, she, you know, she had to be careful and all the shit, but regardless, so the room was small. He said, but when they were filming that, because of the way the blood and stuff, he said, for whatever reason, that blood that Wayne Toth was using, that was the special effects guy, 
He said it had a stench. He said it reeked. Mm. And he said, two, that that was one of the first shots that he had all the women together in. And so they really didn't all know each other, let alone Sherry knowing them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're all like basically naked and groping her and all that shit. So it, it kind of freaked her out because of the way that they were, you know, acting, you know, freaked her out. And plus the stench. So there's a scene, a couple of scenes or cuts where you can kind of see, you're like, oh. You know, and he points it out. He's like, yep, there it is. There's one of them. And then also kind of just what you brought up, like that end bit and then yeah. the, the her being revealed is like the the fucking witch. Yeah. Fucking Virgin Mary. Exactly. And that's kind of, I was like, uh, St. Mary, Mother Mary. I don't mm -hmm. know about Virgin Mary, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, it's all the same. It's all relative in that respect. But much like the supernatural subgenre and like ghost subgenre the witch subgenre is kind of a tricky one yeah you know because it's in the werewolf because this is too, also not the honest. best witch movie we've seen it's not but it's not a bad one either it's not a bad one and that's what i'm kind of getting at it's like it, yeah it's not a, the greatest example but it's somewhere i don't know maybe in the middle maybe a little bit further past the middle right in the grand scheme of things right and i was like it's hard to knock it in that sense because it's you know it's playing on this loosely on some of the Salem stuff. I mean, being that it's in Salem. But when I think of witches, that's kind of what I conjure up. It's like, I want to be a little bit darker than this. But th it's pretty close. It's almost too much about Sherry's character. Yeah. And I mean, I get that because of, you know, what the fuck is being played out. But I, I get that too, yeah. It's, it's like there's... You're setting up for this being a very bad thing, just in general, to be happening... Yeah. But we don't really have any fallout for it. There's no consequences. No, yeah, in, in a way, you've already brought it up. But this is an interesting pairing with, I think you can make with Hereditary, man, because of the way you're trying to raise, a, you know, an Antichrist or an, an, a king, mm -hmm. queen dynamic, you know. Leave me a king. Yeah, I'm getting that. So it's like, it's interesting that they share that in common with, you know, this form of occultism, devil worship and whatever satanism witchcraftry and all that stuff but i, I still like it i still like it it's also playing a little bit on folk horror mm -hmm. um it's playing with a i think a little bit like we talked about with cosmic horror just a little bit just a little bit so there's there's tinges of that throughout this film i i appreciate that like so whether you like rob zombie or not i, I still think it's clever use of all that and even though I was just kind of whining a little bit, like we don't get enough of the fallout of how this is a bad thing to understand, like to make it any more weightful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any more tension other than like what's going to happen to Sherry's character. Yeah. <laughs> even though I was just whining about that, I do kind of enjoy the soft understatedness of the ending where you're just like, what the fuck just happened? And you just cut to that news report and it's like... Yeah. All these women were found dead. You're like, oh, where's Heidi? But Heidi's also missing. Yeah. And we realize that that's a weird thing to happen on the same day, but she wasn't one of the bodies. Yeah. And that to me, it's like that. It made me think a little bit more of hereditary in that sense. Like, you know, she ascended slash descended, you know, if you will. So, yeah, no, she's. But there's also not any mention of any monster baby. No, exactly. So it, it's ambiguous at best. And that reset, you know, that's and that's okay because this film doesn't. You don't really need that kind of closure. I don't think no. the way that this is played out because yeah, you could say well maybe, who knows? Um, maybe everybody got drugged out. 
Right. I doubt that, but... Because here's the thing, at least with Hereditary, even though it doesn't really go further, like they summon Paimon and... like That's pretty ba- much that. Bad yeah. guys win. But both these movies, bad guys yeah, win. Absolutely. Right? And, like, they do what they were trying to do. The being that they were trying to conjure into this world has been it's successfully here. conjured into this world. At least with Hereditary, you get some of the clunky exposition... I find it kind of clunky no, when they're okay. when they have the highlighted bits in like the book. Yeah, like ten minutes before the end. <laughs> yeah, they kind of the rest of the the rest of the the exposition in the movie I felt was really done in subtle. It's just yeah. like at the end they're like, yeah, if you haven't been paying attention, no, uh, yeah, bonk. Saying, yeah, because it's like what what am I doing? Yeah, no, I get it, I get that. But at least you kind of suddenly know like what Paimon's about. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have a feeling of what these characters are hoping for. In this one, it's kind of set up that it's going to be the Antichrist. But then, like, when, as you pointed out, they wanted it to be different. But in that differentness, you yeah. lose what the actual threat is. Because you suddenly have a devil that looks nothing like the devil. Right. You have an Antichrist that doesn't even look human. So now you're... <laughs> You're not relating to it at all. Right, exactly. It takes you out. And this isn't going to be Sam Neill as the president in That's kind of what we're the Omen, yeah, and all that stuff. It conjures up a different idea, at least in terms of like, yeah, what's the end, absolute end goal? Even though it's it's still the same, it's the Antichrist as all that other shit, but not in the way that we're familiar with. Right, and so it, it leaves it in a way, for me, a little bit too open-ended. No, I, I agree with that too. It's, you know, it helps that we do have this background, so it's not, you know, too far-fetched, but I can see how it can be like that. Like, whoa, what the fuck is that? And that's where it's not at the top of yeah, and I, the witches' that's okay. movies. That's okay. But, I think but it's also not point. towards the bottom. No, I think you made a good point, though, because this film is, is mostly centered on Sherry Moon Zombie's character, more so than the witches, even though the witches are a focal point, don't get me wrong. It's just, uh, it's more about, like I said, setting her up to, to have an end goal for them. Mm-hmm. You know. She's having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, movie. yeah, exactly. And that has consequences, but we're you don't get enough to know what no. those are going to be. And that's okay. And like I said, I kind of like that too. I kind of like the open endedness, the ambiguity of things. It, it's you know, if nothing else, it, it makes you chew on the idea a little bit longer after the film's mm-hmm. said and done. So, God, some of the shit is super fucking pretty though. It like, really is. Some some of the shots, the way they're framed, are really nice. The color palette schemes, all that stuff. If it, I didn't know what to look for, yeah. like Sherry Moon Zombie, and you just showed me like stills from this movie, I probably wouldn't have guessed it being a Rob Zombie flick. Yeah, no. Dude, Some of them had a little good. bit of like his twist on it, though. Like I yeah. felt like all the, yeah. I felt like a lot of the looks down the hallway towards the room at the end were very Kubrick, but right. there was a lot of them where like in the foreground there would be like an extra bit of dark in the corner with like some fucking red light splayed across it. So that you knew it was his. And there's even a shot that's framed that kind of looks like a De Palma shot where you get the door here and her in the kind of the background, Mm -hmm. but moving into the foreground. I was like, yeah, it, it has a little bit of like that. Was it like a bioptic or camera? But it's not, it's just the way that he's framing it to give it, um, a good point too. I think in in terms of the way that he was using space is what I'm trying to say, is with that that character looks kind of apish, you know. Mm-hmm. He just said that that dude made Sherry Moon look like a 
kid on set. That's how tall he was. So he had to use a little bit more, for, you know, forced perspective to fit her and, and him into frame where it didn't look too ridiculous. Who was that dude? I don't know. Because, like, if I hadn't known better, knowing that he was already dead, right, when he right, sort right, of right. shuffles Tiny. up, it looks like Matthew McGrory. That's who I, I, I would have had assumed, but he's not credited in this film, so it's not him as far as I know. Because I'm pretty sure he had died by this point. I, I think you're right. I don't know exactly, but I think you're right. I'm um, not positive about that, but... I mean, maybe Berryman or somebody like that, but he would have made mention of it. Right. But he didn't. He just said that that guy was made her look like a kid on set. So, yeah, that's why you had to use a certain perspective shot. It makes sense. Uh, but it sounded like he had a, a kind of a rough go with this film in terms of, like, how stuff was just kind of flowing. He said it worked, but... So, you know, some days people would forget to get picked up. Mm. So you'd have to wait around. And he said it was raining. It was cold a lot on set. No, it's like people were. But, you know, when conditions are like that, you're going to be a little like, okay, man, this sucks. Yeah. yeah. You know, but. You're, here, you're there trying to, like, make believe for a living. It should right. be fun. He even talked about, he's like, there was a scene. And it had to do with the execution scene. Mm with the witches he said it was so cold out there that he knew it was time to wrap up when meg foster was forgetting how to say satan you know he said she says it so often that it should be like clockwork yeah you know or whatever and he's just like no he's like it was just too cold she her brain couldn't even think so you know there were nights like that he said it was a lot of rainy shots um they did film between los angeles and salem so they actually did shoot in salem but a lot of the sequences that you see in terms of like her apartment and actually uh, Jeff Daniel oh, Phillips' yeah, yeah. character, his apartment, the uh, radio station, and a few other shots are shot in this little loft that they mm. had in L.A. And the rest, you know, are out in Salem. He said the church was like just demolished, the one that they found, the shooting. So the production went in there and just kind of decorated it really quick. Okay. You know, got the shot off because he said they were only allowed X amount of time in there. It mm. wasn't like they had a long time to shoot that sequence. And that guy who played the priest, he was just there for that day just to do that shot. He said, you know, it was all awkward because he has to come in and, right. you know, pull that, that scene off and whatnot. So he, to think about that, that's another one of those things that was like knowing some of the behind the scenes stuff and then knowing the end result is what we get. Sometimes that's the way that, you know, Cookie crumbles or mm-hmm. how the dice rolls. Not everything's going to be perfect, but it turned out pretty damn decent. Right. I agree. You know? Yeah. Like I said, I think this movie would pair well with like Housewife. Yeah. It's a good pairing. I mean, yeah, we're on a theme, but I think those are strong films. I still think like just thematically a little bit with Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Trying to think. I don't think I have much else about this one, though. I do. No. I like it. I like it a lot more than I don't like it. I'm with you there, too. I think, like, to the score, the soundtrack, it's pretty decent, man. The guy who scored it was named John Five. Mm-hmm. Did a pretty good job because it's not something that I would think, okay, this guy would play with Marilyn Manson. It's probably going to be heavy and industrial. And, like, no, he, he kind of made certain scenes feel, I don't, I, like, you could feel maybe her, her mood, you know, mm-hmm. shifting as the film's progressing. And then, you know, you get the loop of, the witch's song, the devil's song, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you get a nice contrast there. All right. Well, next week? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Next week, I guess we're keeping on the theme of music. music yeah. And we are going to be 
Speaking of De Palma. I know, right? Speaking of De Palma, we will be hitting the 1974 cult classic, Phantom of the Paradise. It's interesting, too, because there's an actress in this film I never thought we'd be talking about outside of a particular film that we've already reviewed. I've never seen this movie. I know some about it just from reputation and kind of just... Hey, our, our good friend it, it's Patrick a movie that lives in the zeitgeist about it so yeah but i just want to point out right here just you look up the barest bit of information about this movie and it says adapted from the phantom of the opera the picture of dorian gray the hunchback of notre dame and faust wow that's wrong from a lot of references it's a lot of references thrown into one movie that's okay be into it's one good. musical comedy horror and it's the palma so to be interesting if nothing else <laughs> i'm super Early excited to finally too. get to watch this movie yeah likewise i've seen so many references to that the fucking helmet thing that he wears likewise that's when i think of it that's what i i think of yeah even i've never seen the film never seen it i still like if people say it i'm yeah, like oh like, you yeah, know with no, the, yeah i yeah, got you almost like the wraith <laughs> but yeah so i'm super excited finally crossed that off the list yeah likewise and then as we pointed out earlier in the episode <laughs> we, after that we'll be coming yeah. up on our next uh patreon only baddie coming up and it's going to be looking back at Con- cannibal holocaust and i wouldn't want to miss that if i were you no i'm sure we'll have something interesting to say i think so too i'm going to start thinking about it hard now because I do enjoy that movie. I was listening to the too, soundtrack actually. just a couple weeks ago. We talked about Fabio Fritzi and all these others, you know, to what, last mm-hmm. weekend? So, yeah, I mean, huh, fits in. You know what? Really quick, while we're on just a little bit of a tangent, I re-listened to our Halloween 3s the other day. And this has been bugging me since we recorded that episode. And it's, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even have been in one of my top threes. It would have been an honorable mention. But I'm pissed off at myself. <laughs> For in the cult category, not bringing up Hausu. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. It's okay, though. Because we'll, we'll run into another listicle. It happens. <laughs> you brought up the House series. <laughs> yeah. But. But not Hausu. But not Hausu. And that movie. Oh, it's bonkers, dude. That's a fucking trip. That's fun. I, I always enjoy that one. Anyway, I just want, I, I needed to write <laughs> that wrong amendment. for myself. <laughs> no worries. I like it. Honorable mention, Hausu. Nice. But for this week, I guess I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So 
with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.